Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the V1 Church Podcast. My name's Evan. I'm the team lead here at V1, and I'm so excited to introduce the first episode of our new series, Instant, from our lead pastor, Mike Signorelli. Do you feel like you're the kind of person who rushes the process? If so, we're confident that this message is going to impact you in a powerful way. So here it is, episode one of Instant, titled Weary in the Waiting. Well, V1 Church, can you put your hands together and welcome everyone who's watching live right now. We've got someone in Florida, someone in California. I don't even know what time it is. We get loud for them real quick. Can we welcome all of our guests, all of our first, second, third time visitors? We welcome you to V1 Church. We feel that you have found an authentic home here, and we are marginally uh, just as crazy as your own family. So in case you're judging us, let me just go home with you for Thanksgiving and I'll judge your family. There's no perfect people allowed here. And we're getting ready to preach in this new series. And whether you have a Bible or not, uh, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. We're going to be digging in for this new series entitled Instant. And we are looking at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. 1 Samuel 16, 1. And while you're looking for that in your Bible, you know, there are some processes that we go through that are actually easy to go through. Now, as I've gotten older, one of the processes that's coming a lot easier to me is the process of getting fat. Anyone else? You're like, I'm good at that process. Real good. And you know, where I'm from in Indiana, all the food tastes like cardboard. So you come out here to Long Island, you got the bagels and the pizza and I'm like, man, God, I love it. I'm going to be a big preacher. <laughs> Not a big name preacher, just a big one. <laughs> There's some other processes, you know, as my kids get more autonomous and they get older because God gave them their own brain, which I, I don't think was the right idea, but he is God. And I can accelerate through every single phase of the process of getting absolutely enraged. I just fly right through that process from like total normal guy to psychopathic Hulk. Anyone else good at that process? Okay, security, look at the hands. Everyone who raised their hand, security, watch them. You know, there's just certain processes that are easy processes, but what we're specifically talking about through this series is those processes that actually extract the greatness. The ones that, you know, you all came here today with a certain gravity. There's a certain weight on you. And it's the desire to accomplish something with your life in which you feel was greatness. And we all have that gravity on us, especially if you're a child of the 80s and 90s. Anyone? All right, all right, all right. Um, you know, because we were the ones that were given the 37th place trophy and all told that we were great, right? And the only thing we were ever great at was Super Mario 2. And so you'll come in with this gravity. Somebody just went back in their mind. They were like, man, that was good times. You didn't study. Uh, you're <laughs> you flushed your future over Super Mario, okay? I'm just telling you right now. But we were told we were great before we did anything great. And before we went through a process to become great, somebody say, well, that's the truth. That's the truth. And that was a really strong well. This church is becoming increasingly Pentecostal. And my heart is okay with that because that's my roots. But anyways, one Pentecostal clapped their hands. 
they turn to their husband, we were right when we decided to visit today. The Presbyterians were like, let's go. <laughs> let's get out now. <laughs> but here's the thing. We're talking about uh, processes. And for those of you who are taking notes before we jump into our scripture text, I just want you to turn your attention to the screen. This is the title of the message today. I'm weary in the waiting. Would you just touch a few people and tell them this is for you? This is for you. Just go ahead and touch them. This is for you. This is for you. Somebody's already crying. I can see you. <laughs> First Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. Who's there? You ready? The Lord said to Samuel, the prophet over the nation of Israel, how long will you grieve over Saul, the failure king, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Don't you love when you don't even need nepotism to get to your destiny because the only relationship you really need is the one you have with God? That was free. Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And it says this, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Let's skip down to verse six. When they came, he looked at Eli on Eliab and he thought, now all the sons have been lined up, or at least the prophet thought so. And as he's looking at each one, there was this one that looked to be the part, his name was Eliab, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointing is upon him. How many of you know that there are even men and women of God who can spend their entire life honing the prophetic voice of God and still miss it? We're about to experience human failure by the prophet of Israel because he says, well, surely this is the guy. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature or how good he plays an instrument or how good he can preach or how much forever 21 he's wearing when he does that preaching or how many people follow her on Instagram or how big her house is or how happy I'm preaching to somebody right now. Don't be looking at those things. Because the Lord doesn't look at those things. It says he's rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man does or not as everyone as they're scrolling through their feeds. He doesn't look like we look at people. Man looks at the outward appearance. Man's obsessed with Facebook and Instagram and the way things are appearing to be. This is all in my Bible. But the Lord looks at the heart. And then in verse 11, then Samuel said to Jesse, wait a second, if I'm looking at stature, if I'm scrolling through the feed, he should be king. But the Lord says, I'm looking at the heart. And so all of a sudden he says, well, by that measure, none of these measure up. Is there another one? Is there another one? And what happened is as David is on the backside of the hill, he's a real man because he had a soft side and he'd kill somebody. We got some men like that here in the house. They're saying, heart like heaven, singing, oh, looking at my wife, singing, holy is. You know, and David had that thing. He's playing a harp one second and killing a lion, a bear. The net. That's a man's man. There's something innate inside of us that just wants to kill something. Come back to the Midwest with me. We'll show you how to do that. But, you know, he's being faithful with what's right in front of him. David is being faithful with what's right in front of him. Let me, let me do like this when I say it, because somebody's going to get a revelation, because you're going to think that I'm looking at you. David was being faithful with what was right in front of him. See, if I wanted to have a lucrative career as a 
communicator, I wouldn't be preaching in a movie theater on a Sunday. I'd be writing a book with your 12 steps towards discovering your purpose. Because what I hear every single day of my existence is people saying, I don't know what my purpose is in life, pastor. I don't know what I'm doing. And all I would do is just write the book of your 13 and a half steps towards finding your purpose and charge you for it and have a lucrative career. But see, the problem with that is that I've read the Bible several times through and I never see a template for that. What I actually see is not people looking for their purpose, but I see men of character being hunted down by their purpose. I see their purpose come looking for them. But see, the problem is there's too much money to be made in convincing you that you've got to go through a discovery process of your purpose, but not go through a process of developing your character. Oh, there's nothing sexy about what I'm about to preach today. You're going to have to fake amen me and clap this thing down today. I I gave it everything I had in the 9 a.m. and they were like, process sucks. (laughs) You're going to have to fake Shout me down and just pretend you're at a conference right now, okay? Because this is not going to feel good, and I'm not even going to anesthetize you before I stab you with what I got today. Has anyone here been in the messy middle? That messy middle. Thank God I'm not where I used to be, but I don't like where I am right now, and I'm certainly not where I want to be. The messy middle. Ron Carpenter said it like this. God does not allow you to display your gift publicly until you have worked it privately. So, oh, that, that's good. See, Ron Carpenter got more claps than I did. He don't even pastor here. Everyone say, keep the sheep. Say it again, keep the sheep. Say it one more time, keep the sheep. See, what happened was David was given one assignment in his life at that point. And it was to keep the sheep. And I imagine that as he was playing the harp and worshiping and seeking after God, he probably wrestled with his purpose like many of us do. And in the midst of that wrestling, he probably said, God, what is my purpose? And God probably said back to him, it's right in front of you. And at that moment, 18 inches in front of his face was a sheep defecating. And God was like, there's your purpose. What's your defecating sheep today? Am I preaching good? What's your defecating sheep today? And you know, I'm going to take it a step further. Those sheep weren't even David's. They were David's father. So how well are you taking care of something that ain't even your own? See, you might hate working at the bank. How are you taking care of their stuff before God gives you your own? You may hate working at that school, but how are you taking care of their stuff before God gives you your own? See, you've got to be faithful. Somebody say, keep the sheep. Somebody say, keep the sheep. Somebody say, keep the sheep. Do you hear me preaching to you today? What's in front of you? At 15 years old, because I'm an introvert by nature, I was the guy who came in, played my green screen Game Boy, and hid in the last aisle all the way in the back. See, that whole back aisle is all preachers. And all of a sudden, I would leave, I'd be the first one out the door when it was over. I didn't want anything to do with it. But what happened was I started falling in love with God privately. And in the stillness and the quietness of my room on 175th Street in Hammond, Indiana, I started falling in love with Scripture. And not only did I fall in love with Scripture, and I used to just praise God and worship and just sing to Him, but I was so uh, paralyzingly like introverted that nobody knew this was going on, and I certainly weren't going to let anyone into it. But then at 15 years old, 
what happened was because I was being faithful in wielding the word in the private, in the behind, in the back, in the backstage, what happened is this woman, uh, I was walking out of church one day and her face turned ghost white as she walked down the street and she said, mijo, you don't even know me, but I had a dream about you and I've never met you in person, but in my dream, you were preaching at my church and all the young people accepted Christ. And my statement back to her was, you're crazy. I'm not a preacher. I'm a 15-year-old. I may look a lot older because I've got facial hair already, but that's because I'm Italian, you know? But guess what? My purpose came looking for me. I, you know, and that's why, I, I, it, to me, people who try to kick open doors of opportunity, uh, that's shady to me. Because the Bible says that your gift will make room for you and bring you before great men. And if your gift isn't making any room for you, you might have to ask yourself the question, do I even have that gift? Or the second question is, do I even have the character to sustain how hard it's going to be to use it? Because anyone here listening to me or whether you're watching online right now, God can release to you your wildest imagination, the dream of all dreams. And the question isn't going to be always whether or not you can even do it. It's whether or not you can sustain it. Because when you go to attach your name to God's name, you better be willing to sustain it. And David, he was keeping the sheep. Say, keep the sheep. What's in front of you right now? What's in front of you right now? Is somebody getting something out of this? You know, David was anointed and then he was appointed in this era. Do you know it was seven more years until the fulfillment of this prophetic word and this anointing came to pass? Seven years from this thing that I just read to you right here in the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel. What was happening in those seven years? What was happening? But then you've got this another guy, and he was the current king, and his name was King Saul. And what you see in Scripture is this juxtaposition between David after the heart of God and Saul after the heart of people. And see, if you live by their praises, you die by their criticisms. And anytime you have greatness in your life and God wants to put you through a process of extracting it, you know, Jamie Foxx said, I got to a point in my career where I had to stop reading the comments. And you know, some of you are at that place where you can't even sustain a bigger platform because the comments would kill you. Death by comment. That would be on your tombstone of your career in any kind of function, business, ministry, death by comments. Because you would spend your whole life playing defense when God called you to play offense. Instead of taking territory, you'd be losing it. And so sometimes there's even a grace in the seven years after Samuel was released to even give you the destiny. Sometimes there's a mercy even in the seven years. But then you've got Saul, and Saul was the kind of person who rushed a process. Here are some ways you know that you're a process rusher. So Finally, David, who's behind the scenes, taking care of the sheep. See, before he ever hit the giant with the sling and the stone, he was hitting a twig. He was hitting a leaf. He was hitting a stem. You know what I'm saying? He graduated to a giant. Isn't it funny that the greatest battle in your life will be sometimes the one you graduate to? Is this too deep for somebody? Because you think that you're going to get to your destiny, it's going to be easier. You're going to actually hit the twig and the leaf and then the lion and the bear and graduate to the bigger problem. Those who are faithful with little, I'll give you work and give you more. That's what it says. I'll make you ruler over much, which basically says that God rewards faithful work with more work. 
Don't you love the kingdom of heaven? I'm telling you, this ain't the kind of message where you're going to shout me down. But if you can get to the other side of this, you'll say, man, I'm so grateful for that. But, you know, we like to hype people. And Saul was a hype man. Saul was a hype man. He was a process rusher. By the time David graduated to the bigger obstacle, he said, hey, hey, come over here. I got something for you. And David's like, what? And he said, I've got armor for you. Here's a translation. I've got something external that can speed up the process so that instead of what happens internal being the source of victory, does anyone hear me? Because you put that armor on and that armor says, well, I don't want to have to learn combat. I just want to put something on that can help me sustain the blows. I don't want to have to learn how to get a a better marriage. I don't want to have to learn how to go through the process. I'll just drink a little bit of alcohol and that'll soothe my mind. I'll just take a pill. I got to just do this because this is mean today. What's your armor today? What's the thing, Saul, that's going to help you stop a process? Well, I'll just take a pill, and that'll help me get through the pain. But the more you delay going through the pain, the more you delay getting to your destiny, because your destiny is in the details. If you can keep the sheep of another man's field, you might end up being the ruler over Israel. The details determine the destiny. Everything matters. So all of a sudden, he does this. Saul, who's a process rusher, says, you know what? Oh, man, I don't want to get alone in the presence of God. Now, I imagine like a split screen if you were seeing a movie, and David's on the backside of the hill playing his uh, Gretsch guitar. And he's playing that guitar with delay on it. A little bit of tremolo and reverb. And he's saying, heart like heaven, singing holy. And then all of a sudden you look at Saul and Saul's like, I don't want to get alone with God and hear from him and seek him. I just need the prophet to speak to me and tell it for me. I don't need to build my own relationship with God. Who's got a relationship with God that can tell me something? And then you look back at David, heart like heaven, singing holy. And then you look at Saul. Well, it's so much harder to make time to pray. Who prays so I can have them tell me something? And then he finds himself a psychic because the prophet had died and they conjure up the ghost of Samuel. Let me just tell you this. People who seek psychics out or even prophetic Christians who are more like psychics than prophets are people who are so lazy they'd rather hear somebody tell them about the future than to make it themselves. I'm not interested I'm not interested in what a psychic has to say about the future because when I saw this movie theater, I said, I see a church. When I looked in Queens and saw that other movie theater, I said, I see another church. When I see you, I'm not looking at you the way you are right now. I see you coming through a process, coming out on the other side in glory, coming out on the other side stronger than you've ever been, wiser than you've ever been. I see you writing songs that are sung to the nations. I see you preaching sermons that are syndicated all around the world. I see you on the other side with a predetermined destiny. But here's the process, Rusher, Saul. Here's the process. He does this. He adapts the rules and says, well, I'm going to kind of do God's thing my way. And God says, well, that's funny, Saul, because 99% obedience is still 100% disobedience. And doing God's thing your way is not doing God's thing. And that's something that Saul shows us. And then all of a sudden he attempts to kill David out of jealousy because you're always going to be jealous of the person who has the guts to go through the process you won't go through. 
I mean, that's why I can't stand shirtless preachers, because I want a six-pack too. But they don't live in New York, and they're not subjected to the demonic temptation of all this food on the level I am. Isn't it funny how we'll justify our own mediocrity and we will excuse ourselves from a process? You know, your greatest enemy that you will ever face in your life is the enemy of me. And it wasn't, see, David got really good at killing giants, but he didn't really get good at killing the flesh. Because after some of his greatest victories, you see how Bathsheba was bathing and you see all those things. And both of them kind of went down. But I'll, I'll tell you like this, if you're rushing, rushing through a process today, if you're like, if you've got that thing in you that wants to rush the process, and you see both David, David and Saul do that, dreams feel real, but they'll never produce reality. You know, T.D. Jake says that a dream doesn't become a goal until it has a date. What's your date on your destiny? When do you say this thing is going to manifest on this day because I'm partnering with God and subjecting myself to this thing? Now, I want to be very vulnerable. I'm about to show you something. Don't put it up yet. But my wife was actually like, I can't believe you're going to do this. She was like, I'm, matter of fact, I'm telling everyone in Queens when we preach this sermon in Queens that this was not me, right? So I communicate for a living. This is like what I do. And uh, I was raised poor. You all know my story. I've said it several times. Now, you know, when you're raised poor, you, this braces are not an option, right? And so here I am, a grown man with a church and a wife and kids. And finally, after cutting my mouth on my jagged, snaggled teeth, I was like, Julie, I'm getting Invisaligners. And I'm going to be the most beautifully bald Joel Osteen that they've ever seen at V1 Church. I'm getting Invisaligners. And my wife was like, okay. So here's what happens. They did a 3D scan of my mouth. <laughs> that is my mouth. <laughs> and they did this 3D scan of my mouth and they went in around every single tooth and they started mapping out. And then a, an orthodontist put together a predetermined plan to say, this is the final destination of your mouth. <laughs> We are going to move your teeth incrementally over a repeated process of adjustment until you end up with that kind of grill. Praise God. Praise God. <laughs> I like how you're clapping for, <laughs> yeah, teeth. <laughs> People who are busy are like, this was the weirdest experience. I loved it, but it was really weird. But see, you can take that down because it's freaking me out. <laughs> but here's what happens. We get so good at teaching people how to move mountains, they never learn how to move teeth. I'm getting ready to preach to you. Because I was watching, obsessively watching all of these YouTube videos about Invisaligners versus braces. Braces versus, because, you know, I'm punk rock. I'm married. You know, I, I'm fine. I ain't trying to impress any of you. If I wanted to be chrome dome, if I wanted headgear, I'd wear headgear and preach to you like I was an alien every Sunday. But then I determined that I was going to go with Invisaligners because I watched this video by one of the leading orthodontists in the nation. And he said this, and it blew my mind. I said, God, I know you're preparing somebody for this. He said, there is really no difference between braces and Invisaligners. They move your teeth at the same rate of speed. They do the same thing. The, the difference and the reason why braces are still so popular is watch this, patient compliance. Because see, what happens is when you wear Invisaligners, you have to wear them for 20 to 22 out of 24 hours a day. 
And the orthodontist is trusting that you are actually going to subject yourself to that process. Nobody hears me preaching right now. He gives you access to all the tools you need to incrementally change your grill. Do you hear me? But he is trusting that you're going to do the hard work of popping those things in your mouth and hurting yourself to get to what they determine is your final destination. And the main reason why braces are still so ubiquitous is because they don't trust you to do the process. Patient compliance. When we strap those things up on your mouth and wrench it down, we will get you to the destination because we know you won't do it yourself. And so sometimes God gives you Invisaligners and sometimes God gives you braces. And if you find yourself stuck in a situation right now, glory, hallelujah, he put the braces on you because what's crooked is about to be made straight whether you like it or not. Thank you, God, for your sovereignty. Thank you for your braces. Thank you for correcting the thing I didn't have the guts to correct in the first place. Y'all didn't think I could scream preach braces, did you? We're going to the next level this season. But I'll tell you what, if you've got the Invisaligners on, if you've got the situations in your life where God's like, you choose, you want to be mediocre, you want to be snaggletooth, hey, I'm one of you, hey, hey. You know, but what happens is we often justify it in the process. <laughs> Look in my mouth. <laughs> I was raised poor. I didn't have a dad. Well, neither did 50% of America, okay? There gets a point where you got to stop joining the, the wound-licking clubs because there are some people who are like, let's get together and lick each other's wounds. And what will happen is you won't, God will have provided you with every tool you needed to actually change your situation, but you don't subject yourself to it, and then you start complaining about it and attract all the other people who are like, I feel so sorry for you. You know who loves you the most? The person who says, get up and put your tray back on. Get up and make that thing right. Because the church got so good at teaching us how to move mountains, it's about time we learn how to move some teeth. And when I look at this region, when I look at your life, I'm not expecting a radical change. Say to the mountain, move, and it'll move. And everyone's like, oh, look, it, it moved. Say to the teeth, surrender to the process. See, it takes faith to move mountains, but it takes process to move teeth. teeth. And I want a church that will learn how to move teeth. Man, I'm telling you, somebody's getting something out of this. There's grace in that. Let me read to you Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 12 if you think I'm just making this up. Let me tell you what God has to say about it. Now that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. What? Let me, can I read that again? It says this, now that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned, I've learned, say I've learned, say keep the sheep. See, this is something you do, right? Because we're expecting God to show up and just do it for us. But I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Oh, snap. I don't like that. I don't like the Bible. Let's keep reading. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. To be both abound and to be suffering in need. I wanna teach you today about the paradox of process. Because see, what happens is so many of you, you constantly just live in a state of being discontented. 
So all you know is hunger. But see, according to Philippians, it says that I have learned to be simultaneously hungry and satiated. I have learned to be contented and discontented at the same time. Can I tell you how that's possible? Can I give you the solution? As long as you keep exempting yourself from the process, you're only ever going to be hungry. But what happens is, and this is the paradox of process, is that what happens is when you know you're going through the process, you can say, you know what? Like when I pop those Invisaligners on for the first time and, and for two days later, I miraculously lose weight because I don't want to eat anything because I'm in so much pain. I'm going to have both a hunger to desire to see more change in my teeth, but I'm also simultaneously going to be content knowing that I'm doing something about it. And people who tell me that I'm so discontented, they don't understand. They're always telling me I'm not doing anything about my discontent. Because when you submit yourself to the process, you're going to have both. And if all you have is discontent, you might not have a process. Or you might not be surrendering yourself to it. And that is the paradox of process. It's saying, I remember getting like 37 counseling sessions in with my wife. And all of a sudden I said, there's a contentment happening. I think I'm actually falling in love with her again. I think I feel the mojo again. There was this contentment where I was like, I do love this woman. What was I thinking? But then simultaneously, there was this hunger and this discontent saying, we got to get better. And what happens is that discontent, that hunger, and that contentment, that what they're doing is battling with each other in, the, in this paradox of process to get you from glory to glory because some of us are trapped in a cycle from pit to pit. Man. We're not moving mountains, we're moving teeth. Here's what it is. The process is painful. The process is slow. The process is repetitive. The process requires adjustments. It's the process. It's the paradox of process. And skipping the process will always cause you to trade the supernatural for the superficial. Yeah, you could slow clap that in. Because when I went through a process See, what happened when I stood before that, that, when I stood before that pastor and made my vows, there was a supernatural event. That's why people say, well, I'll go get my license from the state. I'm like, well, listen, we're doing a ceremony because the two shall become one. This is what the word says, right? But I started to go through a process with Julie. And as we went through the process, I traded the superficial for the supernatural. You know what I'm saying? Because that's always going to be what you surrender. What happens is if you'll go through the process, you will trade the superficial for the supernatural. And what happened was David said, God, what's my purpose? And he said, it's right in front of you. It's the defecating detail. It's the thing that seems so stupid, so infinitesimal in your mind. The thing that seems so inconsequential, that's the thing. And he said, oh, my purpose is the superficial? Yeah, it is. And he began to steward that thing and said, I love that sheep so much, I'll give my life for it and when, the, when, the law, when the lion and the, and the bear come through. 
And what happens is when you graduate the superficial for being faithful, you will end up obtaining the supernatural. Because while you're yet obsessing over the things in front of you in faithfulness, when you're yet going and saying, you know what, the dishes don't feel supernatural, it's 1030 at night, but the new way that I make love to my wife is doing the dishes at 1030 at night. To any wife say amen. And you say it's superficial, but it's about to be supernatural. It doesn't feel good. But I'm going to trade the superficial for the supernatural. Can I read you a scripture that you all think you know? In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, it says, They that wait upon the Lord, he shall renew their strength. You know this scripture. Some of you have it tattooed on your back in Hebrew. Some of you write it on your mirror. Some of you have got one of those Bible cases where they stitch it in the front. Can I teach you what it really means? Because when I read the scripture, it says, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But we are so weary in our waiting. But is it because we don't understand what that word waiting means? If you go back to the original Hebrew language, that word wait, they that wait upon the Lord means kavah. And kavah has a literal and a figurative meaning. The literal meaning of kavah means to actually weave something together in such a way that it's braided in a strand. Doesn't that change the meaning? They that wait upon the Lord shall have their strength renewed. They that weave themselves into the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the very presence and glory and attributes of God. See, one strand is easily broken, but when you weave yourself together with many strands, you become strengthened. They that wait upon the Lord, he shall renew their strength. And so David wasn't on the back side of that hill in obscurity waiting on the Lord. He was weaving. He was saying, God, I'm weaving myself into your presence now. The thing that's most important, the thing that's paramount in this moment is that I weave myself into the attributes and characteristics of who you are. Because all by myself, with my frailty, with my weakness, with my shortcoming, I'm never going to be strong enough to survive the destiny that you have in my life. So I'm not waiting. I'm weaving. Kavah. They that kavah. They that weave. They that weave. They that weave. What would it look like if you went back to the job that you hate tomorrow and said, I'm not waiting. I'm weaving. I'm here in this place saying, God, weave into me the attributes and characteristics of who you are. What would it look like if you went back to the relationship that you said, God, it's impossible for this thing to work, but I'm going to go through the process of weaving. A three-fold cord is not easily broken. That's the literal meaning of wait, kavah. David was not waiting. He was on the backside of the hill in obscurity, weaving himself into the very nature of God. You can get alone with God, church, in such a way that people will say the only thing that changed about you is your countenance. I don't know what happened. You've read all the books. You went down all the journeys. What has happened? There's a glory about your countenance. And you'll say, I stopped waiting and I started weaving myself into the very glory of God. And the second meaning the figurative meaning of kavah, 
they that wait upon the Lord, it says those who put their hope and their expectation in the Lord. Now, oftentimes when you want to understand scripture, you can read the antithesis of it and it will reveal a truth. And so if those who put their expectation and hope in the Lord will have their strength renewed, watch this. Those who put their hope and expectation in anything else will have their hope, will have their strength depleted. So today, if you're putting your hope in your husband, you're putting your hope in the wrong place. It's going to deplete your strength when he fails you. If you're putting your hope in your business, you're putting your hope in the wrong place when it, when it fluctuates. If you're putting your hope in the economy, if you're putting your hope in a politician, if you're putting your expectation on another election, you're going to end up looking like the world looks with all their expectations dashed. But when you say they that hope and earnestly put their expectation in the Lord will always be satisfied. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Would somebody stand to their feet with me today? Kava, kava. I'm not waiting. I'm weaving. I'm not doing something. I'm doing. I'm not doing nothing. I'm doing something. I'm turning my worry into worship turning my worry into worship you know I want to end this by telling you a story I came out of last service and there was this uh, woman who found me and she was like coming down the stairs and I never met her before and this is right after the 9 a.m. and she grabbed me and she was like pastor Mike I know you don't know me but I've just got to tell you this is the freest I've ever felt in my life She's like, I accepted Jesus at the end of this service and the prayer team prayed with me. And she said, I, was, I actually came to church in the midst of an anxiety attack and all of a sudden something broke off of me and I received prayer, I received Jesus and she was crying. She's like, I cannot explain to you what I'm feeling. I'm like, you don't have to explain it because you stopped waiting and you started weaving. This is what it feels like when you put your weakness with his strength. This is what it feels like when you put his peace with your suffering and your sorrows I see somebody going through the process I see somebody making it to the other side I see it now do you see it for yourself here's what we're going to do I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond today because some of us are so obsessed with the news feed. We're so obsessed with everything we see that it, it creates this comparison, this comparison that has just completely eradicated our peace. It's like, isn't it funny how when you're trying to get pregnant, that's when everyone else gets pregnant? Isn't it funny about how when you're trying to grow your business, that's when everyone else's explodes when you finally start trying? Come on, you know it's booby-trapped. You know it's booby-trapped. You start working on your marriage, and the first time you say you're sorry to your wife, she's going to cuss, cuss you out then? Oh, you I've been around the block, y'all. It ain't ever going to be hard when you're not trying. It's going to be real hard when you do. You're going to graduate the lion and the bear to face Goliath. And you're going to say, honey, I love you so much. And she's like, that's great, and I'll take out the garbage and do more than you did last week. It's not sexy. 
but there's something that can happen in this moment right now where you say, I'm going all the way through the pain, through the adjustments, through the process, I'm going all the way. Is somebody willing to go all the way this time? Thanks so much for listening to the V1 Church Podcast. As you feel empowered to take your next steps on your journey in response to what you just heard, we would love to help you along the way in any way we can. Visit our website, www.v1.church, and click the Connect tab to get in touch with our team. Thanks again, and we pray you have a blessed day.